Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our host, Steve Butler. On today's program, our series entitled, The Second Coming Versus the Rapture, as he opens God's Word to study the difference between the rapture and the second coming. It's time to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to pick up where we left off in our last program, and that's in point number four of our handout that we've been following for the last number of programs, uh, defining the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. In uh, point number four, under the rapture, we covered over the uh, last three programs the point about the foreverness of being caught up with the Lord in the air and what all that means, what all that entails, and how wonderful that is that at the point of the rapture, we will be with Jesus, we will be with God forever, and we will be with Jesus wherever he is. So from the point of the rapture, we're in heaven and uh, following the tribulation, which we are rescued from by our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we will come back with him. And that's what we want to talk about today is coming back with him in our immortal, in our glorified bodies, uh, being part of his glory as he reveals himself to the earth at his second coming. And of course, we know he comes as the son of man because the son of man comes to judge the world. So let's um, look at point number four. And before we get started, for those of you that may be joining us for the first time, we cover a lot of scriptures from Genesis to Revelation to bring out the differences between the rapture and the second coming, because the Bible talks about it in many and various places. And to me, that's the wonderful aspect of the Bible, that it's not just one verse or one passage, but it's uh, scriptures that have been written over 1,500 years that all say the same thing about a myriad of subjects, and of course, this one being the rapture and the second coming. But you can go to the website at um, whcbradio.org and look at look for uh, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and you can find a copy of the uh, handout, the series that we're going through over these uh, number of uh, programs discussing the various differences, and there are a myriad of differences between the two, that they are not one and the same event, which some... Um, theologians teach, and I would tend to refer to them as false teachers because the Bible's very clear uh, why and how Jesus uh, does what he does here between the rapture and the second coming. So let's focus in on point number four in our handout. And under the second coming passage, it says that Jesus' feet stand on the earth and he brings judgment and then he brings peace. So this is after the uh, the tribulation period, after the church has been raptured, before the tribulation, uh, and he's coming. So he comes for the church in the rapture as the Son of God because we recognize him as the Son of God. He comes back at the second coming to an unbelieving earth that believes he is nothing more than the Son of a man. So they he comes back as the Son of Man. And to... Um, Make the point clear again uh, so you get a visual image of this second coming to the earth. If you would, go to Acts chapter 1, and we'll look at it again. And, of course, it's uh, we've been here several times before in this series, but repetition is always good 
because it may take several visits to a passage before you remember where it is. And of course, the Holy Spirit is um, taking advantage of your returning to scriptures to help help embed that in your memory so that, um, as as he says, uh, particularly when people ask you about your uh, salvation message or why you believe what you believe, that um, you do not have to remember, he will bring it to your remembrance. Well, that comes from studying the Bible um, and going to the same scriptures over and over again uh, as they impact you in different ways. So again, in Acts chapter 1, let's, let's look at this um, uh, going into and coming back from the clouds. In chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And that's the point to be made here. So you not only see the the imagery of a rapture taking place, uh, going up into the clouds, going to heaven where Jesus has gone and is and has been for the last uh, roughly 2,000 years, but he's uh, getting ready to come back, and it says he will come back in just the same way. And it's very specific because they are standing on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives is a hill, a rather substantial hill, one of seven in Jerusalem, but this is the hill just to the east of the Temple Mount, and uh, it figures uh, greatly in uh, Jesus' ministry, uh, particularly with the Olivet Discourse, which we find in Matthew 24, which is one of the great prophetic passages in the New Testament. Uh, But in this case, he's standing on it, he's lifted up from it, and it says he will come back in the same way. So at the second coming, he's going to come back to the Mount of Olives. So let's see if the Bible corroborates that in any way. And of course, we know that it does. And you know, we've said it many times before, the Bible never, ever contradicts itself. It it corroborates, uh, not in every case, because not everything uh, God has made known to us, but all that he wants us to know, he not only gives us the fact, but he gives us the fact in several places over a variety of authors over a, over a long stretch of time. So, for instance, we've gone from Acts chapter 1, detailing the fact that Jesus is coming back to the Mount of Olives, and now we're going to go backwards over 400 years to the book of Zechariah. So let's go back to the left. We're in the book of Acts, so we want to get um, through the four Gospels. And as you find Matthew, then the you're going to get into... Um, uh, Malachi, and then you're going to get into Zechariah. So find Zechariah, the second to the last book of the Old Testament. And let's look at Zechariah chapter 14, and let's read starting in verse 1. We're going to read the first four verses here. Behold, a day is coming uh, for the Lord when the spoil taken from you, and let's step out here for a moment and point out that um, this is little over 400 years before Christ came, but we're talking about a period of time uh, that involves the second coming. So we're talking over 2,000 years after, 2,400 years 
after this was written, and he's talking to Israel. And, of course, Israel has been in captivity for many hundreds of years. They're scattered around the world, and a lot of what they have has been taken away from them by the Gentiles. And the Lord's making the point here, when I come back, I'm going to take all that spoil, and I'm going to give it back to you, Israel, because I'm here to bless you. So a little bit of context there as we get back into the Scripture here in Zechariah 14.1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city." Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Verse 3, in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley, so that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half towards the south. So you see a very clear uh, cooperation between what we read in Acts, where the Lord lifts up from the Mount of Olives, and it's the angels stated to the apostles there that he would come back the same way he left. So now we're being told that at the point of the second coming of Christ, that he will come back and he will stand on the Mount of Olives in front of Jerusalem. And as a matter of fact, and we've, I pointed it out in other programs, that the geologists have, have found a fissure, um, a geologic fissure running in the same direction through the Mount of Olives. So just another physical evidence, if you will, scientific evidence, not that we need any to prove the veracity and authenticity of God's uh, holy word, But uh, that's one, that there is a fissure that would split right down from east to west on the Mount of Olives. So we have the Lord standing on the Mount of Olives when he comes back, and it talks about he's coming back to judge the nations. He's going to gather them all together, and that he's going to fight against them. So who is this that's coming back? I want to make the point before we move on into uh, the various uh, Joel and Isaiah scriptures here um, about judgment and then the the time of peace that he sets up. Who is this individual? Of course, it's Jesus Christ. And what do we know about Jesus Christ at his second coming? Um, we've, we've mentioned it many times, but uh, we always want to go back to the scriptures to make sure, one, that we have it right, and two, that uh, we have confidence that we know where it is in, words God, uh, in God's word when someone asks us to um, to show them. And we have in John chapter 5, in verse 22, first of all, it says, For not even the Father, and that's God, not even the Father judges anyone, but he, God, has given all judgment to the Son. So something that uh, I guess a lot of people have never thought about or never really pondered on, but all of the judgments that will take place, and there are several uh, from his uh, rapture of the church, the judgment of the church to the judgment of um, the second coming and all the way to the great white throne judgment. All of those judgments will be conducted by Jesus Christ. And then in verse uh, 27 of John chapter 5, it tells us 
And he, God, gave him, Jesus, authority to execute judgment, as we saw back in verse 22, the authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Now, you just think about it for a moment. If you believe that Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of the living God, then you believe that he is the Son of God. But if you're an unbeliever, you have no faith in who this is, you don't care who Jesus is, or you may know about him, but you only know about him as a man. As far as you're concerned, he was born of a man and a woman. Therefore, he is the Son of Man. So the Son of Man, that aspect, that attribute of Jesus as the judge is what we need to see here in the second coming of Christ. He comes as the Son of Man to judge, whereas uh, looking at our chart on the left-hand side for the rapture, he's coming as the Son of God to reward and to bless. Two quite different aspects of the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we um, should make clear because it helps to, to understand and clarify passages uh, many of whom are debated today as to whether or not they're a rapture passage or a second coming passage. But when you understand that you do not find the unbelieving world referring to Jesus as the Son of God, and you don't find the believing world referring to him as the Son of Man, it helps to differentiate. So given that, given that background and the evidence that he, has, he is coming back to stand on the, on the earth at the Mount of Olives, and he's coming back to judge. Let's look at some of the uh, judgments before we move into the uh, setting up of the peaceful kingdom afterwards. So let's go back to the book of Joel. And Joel is one of the minor prophets that lived many centuries before Jesus. I think about seven, uh, seven to eight centuries before Jesus. And if you'll go in your Old Testament, find Isaiah and Jeremiah and then Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, and right at Daniel, if you find Daniel, and then just to the right, you're getting into the minor prophets. And you'll find uh, Hosea, the wonderful book of Hosea, and then you'll find the book of Joel, the book of Joel. And we want to look at Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. And let's look at verses um, 1 and 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Surely it is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. As the dawn is spread over the mountains, so there is a great and mighty people there has never been anything like it, nor will there be again after it for the years of many generations. So he's describing what's called the day of the Lord, and the descriptors here are telling us that this is the tribulation period that's being described. And he's talking about, in verse 1, the verse, very first line, blow a trumpet in Zion. Um, sound an alarm on my holy mountain. So he's talking about Israel. He's talking about Jerusalem. And it's uh, going to be a terrible time in the land of Jerusalem and Israel called the Second Coming. And let's go to um, chapter 3. Go to chapter 3 now, and let's put a little more specificity on this judgment that's getting ready to take place. You can read uh, 
at your leisure, Joel chapter 1, chapter 2. I mean, it is so full, chapter 3, so full of prophecy, so full of prophecy about the um, end of times that uh, I wish we could spend all our time in Joel, but we don't have that luxury today. So in Joel chapter 3, looking at verses 1 and 2, it says, "Behold, For behold, in those days and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. Then I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people, people and my inheritance, Israel whom they have scattered among the nations, and they have divided up my land. So the significance, the the major significance of this Joel passage is to understand that Jesus Christ is coming back to the earth in his glory as the judging Son of Man, and the church is coming with him, his angels are coming with him, we all have work to do, but but uh, the heavy lifter, if you will, will be Jesus in this battle. Uh, we will help him set up his kingdom. We will not participate in the battle because he is the judge, and he's coming back to judge the world, all the nations. And the significance of this in chapter 3, verse 2, is he's doing this judgment on behalf of my people and my inheritance. And he specifies exactly who that is. It's Israel. It's not the United States. It's not the European Union. It's not any other Gentile country, nation, or group of peoples anywhere on the earth at the time of his second coming. He's coming back to judge the world on behalf of his people. And what is he going to judge the nations for? He's going to judge them because they have scattered Israel among the nations, and that they have divided up God's land. That's what the uh, the judgment is going to be about, and we will get into that at another time when we talk about um, the judgment in Matthew 25, but that is a very significant point. It's all about Israel. Now we want to answer a question from a listener, so we'll pick up the series uh, where we left off here next time. We have a question from a listener in Bloomingdale. When is the marriage and the wedding supper of the Lamb? Hmm, that's a great question. When is the marriage and the wedding supper of the Lamb? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 11 as we answer, try to answer this question from our listener in Bloomingdale. 2 Corinthians 11, 2, Paul is, is uh, describing the nature of the church as a, uh, a bride. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. He says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So you see very clearly the... Um, the bride, the bridegroom perspective here with the church, of course, being the bride and that the bride would be uh, presented to him as a pure virgin. And of course, the only way that that can be uh, in its finality is when we see him face to face in our immortal, sinless bodies. Then to carry the uh, marriage analogy on further, since that's the subject of the question, let's go to 
Ephesians. So we're um, in Second Corinthians, so go just a little bit to the right, past Galatians, and then Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, starting at verse 25. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So basically, Paul, through the leading of the Holy Spirit here in Ephesians, is, uh, tells us that the church at Ephesus, that they are like a bride, cleansed by the word of God, so that they can be presented to the bridegroom, Jesus, having no spot or wrinkle, holy and blameless. What a, what a wonderful picture that is at the rapture of the church. The presentation of the bride using this uh, wedding picture, the presentation of the bride to the bridegroom takes place immediately following the rapture of the church. At the rapture, the individual members of the church take on immortality, and we've talked about that just in the last couple of um, episodes here, programs, in 1 Corinthians 15, and if uh, you want to make a note of that, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three is where it talks about our uh, mortality takes on immortality. Um and then we are complete uh, in purity and holiness because we cannot stand before God. We cannot stand before Jesus uh, with any, any uh, hint or aspect of sin. So that's the immortality aspect of it. The understanding being that when you're immortal, you can't die, and the penalty of death is sin. So if you're immortal, there's no sin because we have to be pure and chaste. Uh, which is the ideal picture of a bride presented to her husband. And then following that, Jesus, um, he promised his bride, uh, the bride-to-be, which we find in John 14, that he'd build a place for her. You recall in that passage in John 14, uh, 1 through 3, that he would build a place for her and that he would come and take her to him, which is his father's house, which is in heaven, which is the new Jerusalem so that he would uh, take her to be with him. And, of course, as we've been studying back in uh, Part 4 under the rapture in this series, that that is a forever thing, that when we go to be with our our bridegroom, uh, soon-to-be husband, that it'll be forever. Then we learn, uh, moving on here to get the idea of the marriage and the wedding supper uh, and what goes on during that period of time, uh, according to ancient Jewish tradition for weddings, we learn in Judges, so let's turn to Judges. So we're going to go way, way back to the left in our Bibles towards the beginning of the uh, Old Testament. We go through the first five books. So if you can find the bigger book of Deuteronomy, the last of the five books that Moses wrote, then you'll find the book of Joshua about coming into the promised land from the wilderness once Moses had died. And then right after Right after uh, Joshua is Judges, and it talks about the, uh, the many judges that the Lord brought to Israel to help them through that difficult time of about, oh, 350 years after they came uh, into uh, the Promised Land. And in Judges chapter 14, looking at verse 12, this is talking about the wedding of Samson, Samson and Delilah. 
And we find in Judges 14, verse 12, it says, Then Samson said to them, and these are the 30 companions that had been invited to his wedding, um, said to them, Let me now propound a riddle to you, if you will indeed tell it to me, within the seven days of the feast, and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen wraps and 30 changes of clothes. So we're the purpose of finding this in Judges is we have a Jewish wedding that is taking place over the course of several passages here. But here it points out that the wedding feast is a seven-day event. And, of course, the seven days would translate to the seven years of the um, period of time that the, the earth is going through the tribulation. Therefore, the church is going through a period of um, magnificent blessing uh, following the wedding of, of us to Jesus. We go through a period of feasting for seven days, or in this case, seven years. And then following, here's the key point to try and answer the, the uh, Bloomingdale listener's question. Following the wedding of uh, seven years of feasting, there's then a magnificent wedding supper to which guests are invited. And let's turn to Isaiah 25 to, to follow up there. So we go back into, oh, roughly the middle of your Bible. You'll find the Psalms and then the Proverbs. Get into Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25. And it says in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6, The Lord of hosts will prepare a lavish banquet for all peoples on this mountain. And he's referring to Jerusalem. A banquet of aged wine, choice pieces with marrow and refined aged wine. So this describes a lavish banquet in Jerusalem on what is the um, Temple Mount that we would call it today. Now, that, that's been debated as to where this wedding supper is located. And here it says that it's on the Holy Mountain, but there are theologians that, that think that it may be in heaven, that Holy Mountain is a spiritual reference. But uh, Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, let's see if we can put some um, specificity onto the location here. Matthew chapter 8. And verse 11 and 12, 8, 11, and 12, it says, I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here, it, it looks pretty clear to me that we're talking about on earth at the, after the second coming of Christ, comes back with his wife, the church, and they sit down at this magnificent wedding supper with all the Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints. We're talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Yes, we'll get to see them. But it says the sons of the kingdom, these are the Jews that did not, did not accept Jesus at his second coming. It says they'll be cast into outer darkness and basically uh, sent to hell. So I believe that this is really a description of the wedding supper being um, happening at the second coming of Christ to the earth. Remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. 
Thank you for joining us on today's Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.